0: Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, for He is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. The Old Testament reading today is from Zephaniah 3, 12 through 15. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and utter no lies nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Then they will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. And ex- rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more.
1: Well, as we turn to our New Testament text today, Mark 3, verses 19 through 35, I want to just say a quick word of thank you to everybody who came out yesterday to our open house. We had a great time. We hope you all did too. It was such a wonderful blessing. And can we give a collective yay that Donald can sing the week his house burns? I mean, that just moved me that's awesome and so we praise God well invite you to hear the word of the Lord we begin mark 3 beginning at the latter half of verse 19 then he went home and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat when his family heard it they went out to restrain him for people were saying he's gone out of his mind And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord our God, we ask that in this time you would let your spirit rest mightily upon us. That we would hear your word, your gospel proclaimed for us, that we would be encouraged, renewed, challenged, and moved, and that in all things, Lord, we would bring glory and honor to you. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. He's crazy, he's evil. He's lost his mind, and someone's going to get hurt. You have to go out and get him. He's possessed by a demon. Someone has to step in and get him to cut this out. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, these are things we fear people saying about us. I mean, we particularly fear them saying this about us because of our faith in Jesus. We fear being dismissed or stigmatized because of Christ. We know that it's possible, but maybe I'm just going to speak for myself here. It was always something that seemed more hypothetical than likely. I mean, as long as I'm a believer and I try and do good things, I should be accepted, right? Well, that's no longer the case i mean we're living through a time when things have changed dramatically and we're struggling to adapt to this new period we have left the time of christendom that is the time when the church was considered a pillar of society a blessing to the community and a standard bearer for all that's good in the life and the fellowship of our connections with our neighbors That's no longer the case. Let me just illustrate it with this. The news this past week included something that a high school in Louisiana declined to receive free lunches from Chick-fil-A for its teachers. Out of respect to our LBGTQ staff, we have chosen to not serve Chick-fil-A at an employee lunch, said the principal of the school. The number one rule at lusher the high school is to be kind and we live this motto every day chick-fil-a has been politically outspoken about its views and we feel it's not a part of lusher's culture of kindness and community can you imagine this scenario a generation ago so instead of being a respected part of the community and this considered a positive act Chick-fil-A's Christian corporate values are considered a detriment and shameful. Their offer to bless is rejected and unwanted. Things have changed. Now, I don't want you to hear this as a lament for the days of yore, for times better in the past. I mean, the church has not always been a good steward of its position of privilege. I mean, just as the institu- sorry, Deacon Craig, I'm going to pick on the Roman Catholics here a minute. But just as the institution of Roman Catholic Church was susceptible to wayward behavior that led to the Reformation, so the institutional pro- Protestant churches in America have not always had a pristine record throughout American history. Mainline denominations have supported the status quo rather than speak into matters of injustice. And institutions have allowed themselves to be co-opted for political purposes. But what I need you to see here is that the church does not have the place in society that it had a generation ago. The church cannot presume that society will value its presence, that the gospel will be accepted as a moral standard, or that faith in Jesus is going to be considered a virtue. The church can no longer count on public respect. Shouldn't have been counting on it in the first place, but that's a different sermon. The whole point is that the church no longer holds a privileged position in society. And as we consider what the ramifications and the implications of what that means, we begin to get a better understanding and a better feel of what was happening in our scripture text today. Because Israel did not hold a privileged position in the Roman Empire. It didn't in Jesus' day, and it didn't in a generation later when Mark was writing this gospel. In our culture, we are just beginning to get the, a, a first taste for what was the norm for believers in the Roman Empire. The Romans were tolerant of a lot of beliefs, with the notable exception of any belief that could lead to a revolution or a rejection of the sovereignty of Caesar. For that, there was no tolerance. The response was swift, and it was terrible, and at the end, there was only the gruesome picture of the cross. So we start there. And keep that in mind as we think about Jesus coming home with his team. I mean, the crowds came too, but that had been happening for a while. If you remember from last week, we noted that Jesus went to the mountaintop and he selected the 12 apostles at the very beginning of this new phase of ministry. It was one thing for Jesus to be out there by himself proclaiming his message, during the ad- declaring the advent of a new kingdom and the people being entertained. But the dangerous thing was when Jesus started organizing. Suddenly, it went from a sideshow to a potential movement. And the theme theme of this movement was, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is the central figure of that, making messianic savior kinds of gestures and claims. He's performing signs and wonders indicating the presence of Israel's God. And although the average Roman may not have had a thorough understanding and grasp of Israel's history and theology, the Roman leadership would have been well aware of the story of Moses, Moses who confronted the most powerful leader on earth at the time and led the people out of Egypt. The Roman officials would have considered it a disturbing but harmless myth, that is, Harmless until someone started leading a movement along those lines against them. So when Jesus circled back home, and home seems to be more home base than his family's home, he read his family had to hear about it, the tensions are already beginning to rise. His family knew what he was doing. I mean, they didn't have any choice. People were telling them. They saw the kinds of crowds he was attracting, They were looking at his life and wondering where and how he'd gone off the rails. The choices he was making weren't consistent with living a long, happy, stable life. I mean, he's headed down a bad path. Think about it. He's not pursuing the family's business. He's not gainfully employed. He was completely relying upon the support of followers for his daily existence. That's not a stable path to a secure future. And crowds are fickle, right? He needed to find something that would be able to provide for him and for the family he was inevitably going to want. And then second, look at the people with whom he's associating, right? He's in with a bad crowd. He's gathering the dregs of society, not the powerful and the respected. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, His closest companions are the fishermen, right? The women following him, not always particularly wholesome. Hanging out with him was like wandering into the Oakland Raiders fan base. (laughs) It's like a pro wrestling crowd, right? They're not polished. They're not accredited or accomplished. This was not a group that was going to change the world for the better. And then third, he is offending those who were going to change the world for the better. I mean, the scribes from the Jerusalem were the elite. They had made something of themselves. They had accomplished things. They were respectable. And they were not happy with Jesus. I mean, they were offended by the company he kept. But more than that, they were out and out angry about the claims he was making. To be able to forgive sin, to heal on the Sabbath, to reject their traditions. So people were talking to his family. They're saying he's gone out of his mind. Doesn't take much to figure out what they were really saying to the family. Do something about this. Correct him. Reign him in. Stop him. Don't let him mess things up for the rest of us. Don't make the Romans crack down on us. So as Mark noted, they went out to restrain him. And the language here is literally to seize him. It's at this point that Mark interjected the objection of the scribes from Jerusalem. I mean, they weren't as interested in Jesus' mental health as they were about the spiritual challenge that he posed by making these messianic claims and performing the deeds of power. Because they couldn't or wouldn't accept the deeds of power as expressions of the kingdom of God he was proclaiming, they had to find another explanation. Well, the best they had was that he's evil. He's not playing according to the rules as we understood them, so he's got to be wrong. Do you begin to feel the weight of what's at stake here? People are saying Jesus is crazy. They want his family to restrain him for his own good and for the safety of the community. Lock him up. And the spiritual leaders are saying he's evil. They wanted people to stay away from him because he was the deceiver. And whether or not they really believed he was evil, that's the spin. They wanted to cast the aspersion upon him so that the public would perceive him to be evil. Well, I'm dwelling on this because this is the very tension that Christians are encountering in our culture today. People are saying, in so many words, and sometimes very directly, Jesus was crazy. They want his followers detained. The Bible's evil and not to be trusted. People need to stop being deceived by the gospel and rely on common sense. Have I raised anybody's blood pressure yet? <laughs> All right? But now, just let me turn and look at how Jesus responded to this opposition. And the first thing I want you to note is how Jesus responded. He wasn't anxious, and he wasn't angry. How? How? How could that not bother him? How could he not? Be intimidated or concerned or impacted by what was happening all around him. Well, look at what he said. He began with the religious authorities. He called them over to respond to what they were saying beyond, behind his back. And Mark, Mark wrote that he, Jesus talked to them in parables. And he began by showing the fallacy in the accusations. The tactic he used is known as reductio ad absurdum, that is, reduced to the absurd Jesus pointed out that the logical conclusions of the scribes accusations was absurd his driving out unclean spirits and releasing people from demons was healing them and not harming them and if the drive behind evil is destruction releasing people from destruction makes no sense And further, if the accusations of his being demonic were accurate, it was actually good news because it meant that the demons were involved in a civil war destroying each other. And then he added the parable about the strong man's house. Now, our translation here does us a a disservice by missing the wordplay of possession that Jesus is using here. So I want you to hear it this way. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions without first tying up the strong man. The strong man in Jesus' parable is the devil. Jesus is the one who's coming in to release. He's coming in to release those who have been taken as the devil's property. That is, those possessed by him. So just as he's demonstrated his ability to cast out the unclean spirits, Jesus was declaring his authority to restrain Satan and to redeem those possessed by Satan's minions. So do you believe that? I'm not asking if you understand it. I'm asking, do you believe it? Because in a world that seems to be growing more and more evil each day, do you believe that Jesus has the authority to bind Satan and to release us from the grip of the demonic? Do you trust that Jesus will bind Satan and deliver us from evil? I mean, it's one thing to know what you're supposed to believe. It's another thing to stake your life on trusting that Jesus will be faithful to his promises. I'm staking my life on it. And friends, I'm praying that you are too. He is able. I mean, later, Peter is going to declare there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, then we get to the part that I know you guys have been waiting for. He drops in these three verses that raise red flags all over the place. Jesus talked about the eternal sin, the blasphemy for which there is no forgiveness into the age. That's what it literally says. Well, this spooks us, and it spooked the church for 2,000 years. Could we trip into the unforgivable sin? Could we think it or say it or do it without knowing? And what is it? I mean, specifically, what would it take for us to put ourselves outside of God's grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness? Well, within the context, Jesus was warning the scribes that attributing his deeds of power to the work of Satan was, in fact, opposition to God. And Mark included the explanatory note, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. Opposing God, refusing to accept or recognize God's redemptive activity and declaring it to be evil, amounted to blasphemy and a rejection of the gift of amnesty and forgiveness for sins. There is no forgiveness without the gift of grace that comes from God. Now, I don't want to lose you here. And so we're going to push on just like Mark did. I mean, it's three verses and it's gone, right? Right? And I say it that way because I've gone down a lot of rabbit trails on, off of those verses, trying to figure out whether a doubt, a one off thought, slip of the tongue, an angry moment was sufficient to exclude me from God's grace eternally. That's not what it says, it's not what it means. And we need to trust God and leave Jesus' warning within its context. Rejecting God's work and declaring it to be evil is the mark of a hard heart that won't be forgiven. But instead, look for, receive, trust, and be thankful for God's grace in providing us a Savior who does redeem us from our sin. Well, then Mark returns to Jesus' family crowd reported to Jesus that his family was outside asking for him and Jesus recognized what was happening and the issue at play was authority was he bound and subject to the pressure his family felt and the pressure his family was seeking to exercise over him or was he subject to God's mission and call on his life well the response Jesus gives here is telling Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Well, growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, this always struck me as kind of a hippie, free-to-be-you-and-me, Godspell kind of comment, right? I mean, I picture that tie-dye and face-painted cast of Godspell running around Central Park in this kind of bohemian, do-what-I-want, free-love atmosphere. That's not it, Jesus here was talking about authority. And he was declaring that God's call on our lives takes precedence over all other authority. He was referring to the promise in Zephaniah that those who seek refuge in the name of the Lord will find peace and fear disaster no more. He was contrasting the adopted family of God to his worldly biological family. And I want to be careful here, because there are many families that have to deal with mental illness. And there are many families that have to take responsibilities for for members who are not capable of taking care of themselves. And there are many families dealing with narcissistic personalities and enduring great pain as they try to love and walk alongside those who are delusional or hard-hearted or lost. During the course of more than 20 years of ministry, and Deacon Craig, you can probably talk about this too, I've encountered a number of people who claim to be Jesus, or a Messiah, or an anointed of God, who were totally self-absorbed in their own world. Jesus wasn't talking about any of that here. He's talking about himself. He was not self-absorbed in his own world He was completely focused on moving the kingdom of God forward into the lives of others. He was helping them, not helping himself. He was inviting listeners to consider his message and his deeds of power in the context of his message. And friends, there may be times in our lives when our obedience to God's call puts us at odds with our families, our our friends and our neighbors and our community. The challenge we have is to be willing to listen to others when we are being self-centered and to listen to God when we are serving others in obedience to his command and to be able to discern the difference. Friends, let me just close here this morning by noting how grateful to God I am that Mark included these verses in the gospel. It amazes me how consistently Scripture addresses issues relevant and timely when it's describing events 2,000 years ago. Mark didn't hesitate to describe the opposition to the gospel as it arose. This was helpful to his first readers because it showed them their own experiences of criticism and stigma weren't unusual. And It's a comfort to us for the same reason. Mark continued to recognize Jesus' campaign for the kingdom, that there were going to be times when he was going to run counter, he was going to run counter to those who would normally be expected to exercise authority over him. Jesus didn't get angry or vengeful, he just was very clear about whom he served there are going to be times in our lives where our faith is going to be challenged and there are going to be times when there will be consequences for being obedient to Jesus. We don't need to be afraid or intimidated. We do need to be prepared. We do need to know who it is we trust. And we do need to cling to the one who is able to deliver us from evil. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.